In Galatians chapter 4, it really well summarizes the gospel message that we are celebrating this weekend. It says in chapter 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons. And I think there's two just profound things that I've been stewing on over that passage uh, over this week. And the one is the faithfulness of God. But when the fullness of time had come, we look all the way back at Genesis and we see the very inklings, the very beginning, the seed of the gospel all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. That hope was given to Adam and Eve and to their children and their children and their children that all things would be made right and that salvation would come. But it was kind of like a Polaroid picture. God had given them the picture, the photo, this is what's going to happen, but they couldn't see the full picture yet developed. So they had, they had faith in the Lord. And then the promise was given to Abraham with a little bit more of that developed photo coming through. There's going to be a seed. And then a little more of that photo developed through with King David. And you have a king coming from his lineage, who would reign forever. And you had the promises reiterated all throughout the prophets. And then you had 430 years of silence from the Old Testament to the birth of Christ. And some people would have counted this as a slowness on God's part. God, what are you waiting for? But God had ordained before creation even began the right time where he arranged everything to happen as he saw fit. He wasn't sitting around waiting for things to happen passively, like, I sure hope this person comes into power. I hope Herod the Great becomes king, because that will really work well with my plans. No. God was sovereignly working all things together. That's encouraging, because we know that God is faithful. When he gives us a promise, he's going to bank on that promise. He's going to come through, no matter what the promise is that we see in Scripture. And the other thing is we can rest in his sovereignty. He works all things for the good of those who love him. And that is a marvelous truth because here, when the time was right, God sent his son to be born of a woman so that he could represent us, that he was born under the law so that he could fulfill it for us where we failed. 
and so that he could redeem us with his blood. I gotta stop before I start preaching. We get to receive adoption as sons because of Christ. A marvel. That's what we're here to celebrate this morning. We're glad that each and every one of you is here. And we want to extend a special welcome to you if you're visiting with us because you're visiting family. And we're so thankful for you. This is a sweet time where we get to just celebrate the reason for the season together. And we would encourage you, if you don't have a place to go, I know everyone's got lots of plans, family, traveling. Um, If you don't have any plans tomorrow morning, we would invite you to come back here and worship with us tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. as we continue to celebrate um, what Christ has done for us. But before we continue singing some awesome songs, would you please bow your head with me in a word of prayer? Jesus, we are so thankful. We praise you this evening, this afternoon, that you humbled yourself that you came down from your throne, that you were born without fanfare, that you were born in the most lowly fashion imaginable in order to save us from our sin. You came to us. You didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. You didn't wait for us to be good enough because we couldn't. You didn't wait for us to become good friends because we were your enemies. You didn't wait for us to exert any effort because we were helpless. And you came to us. We didn't deserve it. What we deserved was justice. And you satisfied that by dying on the cross. And you satisfied God's demand for righteousness by obeying the law perfectly for us. You have saved us from our sins. We are eternally grateful, eternally filled with joy because of what you have done And I pray that that would just echo in our hearts and minds this weekend and henceforth. And that would always be the song on our lips as we marvel at the wonder of the incarnation of your birth and the miracle that it was. God taking on flesh. It is just astounding. And I pray that we would be in awe as we sing these songs that help us reflect on that. We ask for your blessing over this time. Amen. Would you please stand with us, if you're able, as we continue to sing. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the son of god appear rejoice rejoice emmanuel shall come to thee o
song. We encourage you to sing with us, but I also want you to just reflect on some of the deep, profound words of this next song, O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Oh, 
another second or two to recover from that song. That one dehydrates me a little bit for some reason. I'm glad I just found this water here. Was this yours? Okay. Well, good evening to you all. It is such a pleasure to be here today celebrating the birth of our King. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. I know that's a surprise for a Christmas Eve service. If you didn't bring a Bible, we've got some of our tallest and best-looking men here that'll hand one out to you if you raise your hand. Feel free to use that for the service and just pop it on a table on your way out. Or if you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take it home as our gift to you. As we're turning to Luke chapter 2, I want to take a quick poll, especially of maybe the youngsters here. Who's excited about presents tomorrow? Okay, who's lying about not being excited about (laughs) presents? Okay. I don't know what you all do, but for us, our Christmas Eve tradition is that we do stockings on Christmas Eve. So I know a row of youngsters over there, and some adults, if we're being honest, that are pretty jazzed about doing presents 
tonight, and then of course the big stuff tomorrow morning that doesn't fit in a sock. It's a ridiculous, absurd couple of days of gift giving for sure. But I can sense it in the room, especially the youngsters. There's, there's some excitement about opening presents, and that's totally okay. Most of us, if we're being honest, would say, yeah, of course, I like receiving presents. I love gifts. Other than my personal nightmare of being an adult and opening presents in any kind of public space where people are just looking at you, wondering what you're going to do, how you're going to respond, aside from that horror show, receiving presents is pretty awesome, and it makes us pretty happy, I would say. But something I've been thinking about the last few weeks, first as I was preparing to teach on the Generosity Project and then coming up on Christmas, was what exactly is the difference between being happy and having joy? What's the difference between those two? We know to have joy is not the same as being happy. They're, of course, related. The two things often go together. But I think joy is a little bit deeper than happiness. It's more profound. So as I've been thinking about what it really means to have joy, been considering what other Christian thinkers have to say about it, I think where I'm landing is that joy, being filled with joy, comes down to taking deep pleasure in something that is truly, truly good. Like joy on some level is having this posture, living a lifestyle where you're just delighting in regularly, truly finding pleasure in something that is good. And we get to see snippets of that in our day-to-day lives and the good things of the world and the relationships we have. But especially at Christmas, that feeling of joy really comes out. And I think you especially get that in children. You know when you get a, a kid a present that really hits the sweet spot, they open it from you, it lands just how you had hoped, they're excited, uh, they're surprised, they're smiling from ear to ear with a genuine smile. And especially for kids that can't quite moderate their reactions, you might even get a squeal out of them. That's how you know you've hit that sweet spot. And what I think you're seeing there is not just happiness, but is joy, at least in some small measure. And hopefully you've been on the receiving end of some gifts like that as well, where you feel and you see this deep delight in something that is good. But maybe the best part of that whole experience that we probably don't reflect on enough because we're just used to, on an annual basis, we're going to give and receive gifts. But something I think we should reflect on and reiterate to our children is that when we're getting these gifts, son, daughter, when you're receiving a gift for Christmas or your birthday or any time, you don't really deserve that gift. It's not your wages for yet another year of excellent work. Every legitimate gift that you receive, especially as a kid, is something that you're unworthy of receiving. It's not that you've been such a good kid that we're compelled to give you these gifts. Even if you're a bit of a pain in the neck sometimes, you disobey now and then, you're unkind to a sibling, no kid ever really gets coal in their stocking, right? A few exceptions aside, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, they're still going to get you a gift in spite of your worthiness to receive it. Now, I've failed a few times this year of trying to get this message across to my kids. It's gone right over their heads. But I think that the reason we ought to try to, in subtle and ideally effective ways, to share this message with our kids is because for the receiver of the gift, I believe that joy becomes that much more profound when you realize what you're delighting in, what you're taking such deep pleasure in, is something that you don't even deserve to be receiving. And yet it's been given to you freely and joyfully. So that's a little bit of the backdrop. That's what I want to be meditating on together today as we look in Luke chapter 2 to say, what is the joy that is promised to us in Scripture about Christmas? What is it that leads to that gift? Why is this gift given and who is it given to? And what I hope that we'll see is that there truly is no greater joy than in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as is our custom here at Newcastle, I would invite you to stand once more, if you're able, for the public reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. This is the Word of God. In those days, a decree was sent out from Caesar Augustus that all the empire should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, 
to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the inspired and trustworthy account of the birth of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Well, Father, what a privilege and joy it is to be here to celebrate the birth of our King. Lord, I pray that as we reflect on this good news of great joy that is for all the people, we would humbly look to you for all of the goodness in our lives and, and trust you that you truly do have the answers that we need. I pray that this time would be one of edification for us and would bring glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So first thing I want to do is apologize if your Christmas Eve tradition is to read the birth story, and I just spoiled that for you, I am sorry. Um, but I would recommend that you still do it, because double the Bible is even better, twice as good, in fact, as just single Bible. But this evening, I want to focus on just one verse among these 14, and that is verse 10, where it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel tells the shepherds and us through them that there is good news of great joy. Good news, that should sound familiar to us. And I'm going to give you a little trivia today. Did you know that when the verse says, I bring you good news of great joy, your translation might say glad tidings, but it's using the word that we turn into evangelize. The original word in the Greek is euangelizo, where we eventually get evangelism. So a straight, literal rendering of this verse would be that the angel says, I evangelize to you great joy. And in the noun form, that word is what we then turn into gospel. So these shepherds were being evangelized with the gospel by an angel of the Lord. So in this announcement of the birth of a Savior, Christ the Lord, these shepherds weren't getting some good news. They were getting the good news, the capital G, capital N, good news that Tyson just said was first given uh, to Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3 and then reiterated to Abraham and later David and prophesied by the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Micah. The shepherds were learning that all of that that they had maybe known of was now becoming a reality in space and in time. And then what is the good news that they were hearing of? I mean, the angel said that a savior is born, but a savior from what? it's all about? What's the story here? Well, I think if this were a newspaper headline, the subtitle, the subtext would be, unto you is born this day uh, in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the, the detail. But I think the headline would be even more profound. And I think it would just be three words, all caps, bold text. And it would be that God loves sinners. God loves sinners. That's what this is about. He loves rebellious, stiff-necked, wayward, faithless, unfaithful sinners like me and like you. And that's what makes the whole rest of the story make any sense at all. That's really the only reason that there is a story that has a happy ending, happy ending that God loves sinners. And we see this all throughout Scripture, and it's quite clear. It's not a generic kind of love in any way, like we might say we love pizza like God doesn't get some temporary feeling of satisfaction from sinners. It's not nondescript, semi-benevolent because he happened to make us and therefore he loves us. There's nothing generic about the love that God has for sinners. To say that God loves sinners means that he has true, deep, abiding, eternal affection for real, 
And for specific people who at the point when he first shows that love to them don't love him back. This is a love that is very, very real. Real in such a way that we can see it, we can feel it, and we're changed by it. Because it's not a love that is characterized by feelings that God has, but actions that God takes. So how has God loved us specifically then? If it's not a generic feeling, how does he show his love? Well, the greatest demonstration of God's love clearly is connected to what we celebrate as being initiated on Christmas Day, the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 makes this very clear. We all know this verse. Now, in my humble opinion, most English translations don't really do justice to the first phrase of this verse. I don't think that at least I don't get the full understanding in the words, for God so loved the world. But translations like the NET and the CSB help me out quite a bit when they render John 3.16 like this. They say, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God loves sinners so much that he demonstrates it like this. He demonstrates his love for us so radically through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, to die as a gift for people that have done nothing to deserve it. So kids, this right here is it, okay? I'm sure you've got some high hopes for the presents you're going to open tomorrow. There's probably a gift you have in mind that will make your year. Like when I got my Nintendo in 1988, that was a big day, okay? But this right here, this is the greatest gift imaginable and is the greatest demonstration of love for you that you will ever, ever know. And that goes for you too, adults here. There is nothing more significant in your life that anyone could ever offer you that comes close to what God offers you in his son, Jesus Christ, as a demonstration of his love. God says of Jesus that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he gives that son to us as a ransom sacrifice. So Jesus has taken your sins, my sins, the sins of all that God has appointed to eternal life. God sent his son Jesus, his beloved son, to take all of that upon himself and bear the rightful punishment for it on the cross in your place. That's the gift we're talking about at Christmas that's for you and for anyone and everyone who is willing to believe that it's true. And he did that because of his love for sinners. This is an abundant love that we've not earned. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Romans 5.8 tells us that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news that leads to great joy. So Jesus Christ comes into the world to take our sins. And what else? What else happens? Well, an awful lot happens. There's a lot that goes along with this great joy. But I want to spell out just one thing for us this evening. We're, of course, promised eternal life in Christ Jesus. And this is excellent news for when we die. But what about right now? What does the good news have to say about our lives right now while we're still walking around this place? Well, in Hebrews chapter 9, one thing that's promised to us in Christ is to have a clean conscience. So what does that mean? Christians, we need to be reminded of this regularly, so continue to, to, to listen. But in case there is an unbeliever or an on-the-fencer here, I'd like you to perk up for just a second because I want to make crystal clear what we receive in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.9 refers to some sacrifices, activities, gifts that were offered under the Old Covenant that the author of Hebrews says ultimately cannot cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. But then in verse 14, it speaks of how through the blood of Christ, our conscience is cleansed. So what exactly does that mean? It means that God is the only one who can finally free you from your guilt. Everybody knows the reality of guilt, but nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ offers an actual solution. And I know you feel guilt. I feel guilt. I know that you know that there are things that you've done that you wish that you could undo. There are things that you hope nobody finds out 
about you and you feel the weight of guilt. And what do you do with that? What do you do with that guilt? Any other religion or any world philosophy is going to skirt the issue and say, well, really, there's no such thing as guilt. It's a chemical reaction. Or they'll say there's ultimately no answer for guilt. Or they might try to address it in another way, typically that you try to atone for it yourself through endless apologies or endless works to try to make up for all the bad deeds, try to offset the bad with some good. And it's ultimately impossible. So what's the answer then? Is it try harder, do better, try to make amends? Maybe you just bury it through self-medication? None of that makes it go away. Your need for cleansing, your need for forgiveness, that's still going to be there. Our consciences, whether they're super sensitive or they've been dulled over time, they still bear witness to the fact that we are guilty. And what God does for you is that he offers to deal with that guilt through his son, Jesus Christ. And he's not, he's not dealing with the feeling of guilt. We might be able to self-medicate enough to dull the feeling of guilt, but through Jesus Christ, God deals with the fact of our guilt. The fact that we would all stand before a holy God condemned for the things that we've done. We've, we've not honored our parents the way that we should. We've not put our spouses before ourselves. We've not loved the true and living God the way that we should and loved him above the idols that we've created in our own mind. We've, we've lied, we've stolen, we've coveted. I could keep going. We've done it all. But God loves us so much and he demonstrates that by the sending of his son, not just to be humbly born in a manger, but to live perfectly, to die unjustly, and to be raised again triumphantly so that we could be cleansed of all of that right now. That's the reality for the Christian right now. This is the good news. This is a gift that God offers to us freely. The good news of great joy that would be for all the people. And I really do mean great joy, okay? I'm not talking about, well, it sure sounds like the facts all up, Chris, and I find that intellectually stimulating and gives satisfactory explanatory power, so sounds good to me not talking about that. I'm also not talking about a temporary fleeting feeling of relief, like, okay, whew, I got that off my shoulders. Now I'll just go on with my day. This should lead us to exploding joy, the sense of taking delight in something so unbelievably good that we've received that we absolutely don't deserve. This is a deep, deep satisfaction in our holy God who meets all of our deepest desires and a joy that transcends our circumstances. This joy that I'm talking about is something that can fill us in the midst of wherever we are in life. No matter what our circumstances could be, this gift from God is something that nobody and nothing can ever take away. Not our circumstances, not the world, not our enemies, not even the devil himself can touch us when we have this joy. Good news of great joy. And if it isn't clear already, Who's this for? Who's this for? Jesus is born, and the angel says that this is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So who's it for? It's for anyone. It's wide open. This should be something that everyone rejoices in. It's for all kinds of people. No distinctions. Anybody and everybody willing to believe it. This is what was promised to Abraham some 1,800 years before Jesus was born, God promised Abraham, as Tyson said, that in his offspring, in his familial line, shall all the nations be blessed. So no longer are there distinctions based on nationality or ethnicity, but more importantly, there's like no distinctions, period. The good news of great joy is for any and every kind of person, any and every kind of person. That means it's for the moral person, and the not-as-moral person. It's for the well-to-do person and the down-and-out person. It's for the person whose life has seemed to come together just as they'd planned, and for the person who feels like their life is falling apart and spiraling out of control. It's for the person who's super grateful for all the good things that they have in life, and it's for the person who thinks that they are worthless and deserving of the misery that they experience. It's also for the person who, for up to this very moment, has not yet believed in God, but God is calling them to himself even now. 
Some of you might be thinking, well, you covered a lot there, Chris, but that still doesn't include me. You don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the dark thoughts that I have. You don't understand my past. I want to be clear that you are exactly the kind of person that this good news is for. In coming to the shepherds, the angel demonstrates to us that this good news isn't just for the elites. It's not for the big shots that have everything together. This was a royal birth, cosmically speaking, but it wasn't just to be celebrated by royalty. The angel appeared to some shepherds, not scum of the earth or anything, but nothing special, just some guys doing their job, running third shift to keep an eye on the flock. These average Joes are the ones who the angel of the Lord chose to appear to first. Now, they, of course, freaked out, just like every other angelic encounter we read about in Scripture. So the angel has to say, take it easy, fellas. Paraphrase is my own. But don't be afraid, guys. I'm not here to cause you harm. But I have information that you need to know. There's something happening, shepherd men, not too far from here, happening right now, that is going to change the world. You can't even comprehend how cosmically important this is. But it also specifically and directly impacts you. This good news of great joy is for everyone, including the simple shepherds, if they would simply believe it. So sinner, that guilt that you're carrying, that you brought through the doors today, and the despair that the weight of that guilt leads you to, leave it here. You don't have to carry that anymore. The joy that God the Son has shared with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit since eternity past, that's on offer to you. Jesus says, give me your guilt and I'll take it to the cross. What an absurd trade. Jesus Christ says, give me your guilt and in exchange I give you my joy. What I want for all of you this Christmas is, is, it, is for it to be a time of real and significant joy, but not because it's a fun time of gift giving, though gifts are great, not because it's a nationally recognized holiday where we all sing the same songs, which is also great, but because it's yet one more opportunity to look towards and draw near to Jesus Christ. Truly, truly, there is no greater joy than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a different kind of joy, folks. And it's a kind of joy that doesn't have to stay in December. My prayer for you would be, would be that you would find this great joy in the good news of Jesus Christ right now, this Christmas, but that it would last indefinitely. Every single day of your life can be a day filled with this kind of joy, true, eternal, and lasting joy that comes from being part of God's family. So as we're worshiping tonight, as we go home and we gather with friends and family, as we come back and spend tomorrow morning together here and then go off and do whatever else it is we do on Christmas Day, let's make sure that in the midst of all of that gift-giving, all of that celebrating, that we enjoy it. Deeply, deeply enjoy it. Laugh, eat, drink, be merry. But remind one another in the joy, in the laughter, remind one another, not just ourselves, but remind one another of the grace of God that is being displayed in the giving to us of the greatest gift that we could ever imagine, his son, Jesus Christ, through faith in whom we receive the forgiveness of all of our sins, the cleansing of our guilty conscience, and the reward of life everlasting that he earned on our behalf. This is good news of great joy indeed. Father in heaven, we are immeasurably grateful for the love and light that Jesus brings into this world. Good news of great joy seems like such, such an understatement. So Lord, I would ask that you, you do fill us with this joy. Fill us so full of joy this Christmas season that we can't help but let it spill out and share the good news with everybody that we encounter. Father, I thank you for the spirit of this season, the spirit of love and of giving. I pray that we would always keep our eyes on Christ and the gift that we receive in him by your grace. I pray that in his name. Amen. Well, if you're able, would you please stand as we sing together in response to the word.
Brothers and sisters, I do pray for you that this would be a season filled with joy and love in response to God's grace. And as Tyson said earlier, I would invite you to come back tomorrow and we'll do this all again. Uh, Pastor Kevin will continue in Luke in the birth narrative and we'll sing more songs and we'll love each other more and bring praise and glory to our Lord. So I look forward to that. If you would now, let's read a different benediction than we've been doing through Ephesians, but read this together from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And all those who would find their greatest joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ would say, Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, church. You're dismissed.